another edition of the Show Me the Money Hockey Podcast. Jonathan Davis and Hart Levine with you. And Hart, uh, man, Alan Walsh, uh, our guest here on the show, it was really good. Uh, very excited to be able to talk to him and hear his insights on everything from uh, the salary cap to his love for Bruce Springsteen. Uh, I thought it was a great, a great uh, chat with Alan Walsh. Well, if you've heard of an NHL agent, uh, chances are the one you've heard of is Alan Walsh. She certainly uh, is the most publicly out there agent, and uh, you could you could see why he had some great insight and, and things to share, and never shy to offer up his opinions on on topics that are close to him. So it was a great chat. All right. So without further ado, our conversation with Alan Walsh. Well, we are ecstatic to be joined by Alan Walsh, co-managing director of. Uh, Octagon Hockey, over 25 years in the business. And uh, Alan, uh, thanks for stepping into the Show Me the Money Hockey podcast with Hart and I. And how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you guys. So um, I was in Vegas uh, on, for, for game number five. And uh, I mean, it was just great to be with 18,000 of my closest friends. It had been a long time since I'd been to a hockey game. With that many people, uh, I got to watch your client in action, Mark Andre Fleury and Max Pacioretty. Um, just uh, your, just talk about you know just your enjoyment so far of what we've seen in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Well, um, it's been a great playoff so far. It's it's always uh, bittersweet watching games when you have clients on opposing teams playing against each other. Uh, as I've said many times, I don't root for teams. I root for clients. So when I go to a game and I have players playing against each other, uh, I want them obviously to do well. Uh, it's, it's been a great playoff and a great season for Flower. Um, Max was hurt and missed most of the Minnesota series and then came back uh, for game seven and had an amazing game, scored the game winning goal. In fact, he's played six games now this playoff cycle. He's got three game winners and he assisted on the OT goal uh, last night, dishing the puck to Mark Stone, who came in on the breakaway. So it's been, a, I think, the, the first two rounds. They're not over yet. We still have a Bruins Islander game that's going to be starting soon. And uh, game six tomorrow night, Vegas, Colorado. But it's been a tremendous playoff so far. Uh, it already seems like a distant memory, but that first game, Florida-Tampa, was one of the best pure hockey games I've seen in a long time. I think the Vegas-Colorado series has just been tremendous hockey. Incredible pace, real big boy hockey, physical, grinding, aggressive, um, it's been, it's, it's the best of what the NHL has to offer. Well, you mentioned flurry and you've obviously been very vocal in your you know support and advocacy for him. His season this year, like how, how do you, how do you even describe it in words? What, you know, what he's done at, you know, an age where we see some goaltenders as they get into their mid thirties performing, but you know, the odds are that they've, usually there's a down uh, downhill performance and, you know, this season is going to go up there as kind of an all-timer and what he's doing in the playoffs. How, how, how do you feel about that? How do you, how can you even put that into words? A career season. How about that? That's a pretty good description. Good description. Yeah. 
I think that uh, Marc Andre decided when he hit 33 to start aging in reverse. And uh, you just see um, when he got to Vegas and his first year there, uh, I think he, um, the, the change of scenery, leaving Pittsburgh after being there for his entire career, really rejuvenated him in a sense of uh, renewal. He, he played great in Pittsburgh his last couple of years in Pittsburgh, and obviously he loved it there. But when you're thrust into a new situation, uh, you're, you're uncomfortable. And no one knew what Vegas was going to be like as an expansion team. Uh, he came out and was announced on the day of the expansion draft. It's a great fanfare. And I remember um, Mark recounting for me a meeting he had with uh, Vegas owner Bill Foley. And uh, Bill Foley had said to, said to Mark something along the lines of, well, we've got a great, uh, a great start planned for this team. And, you know, hopefully uh, we win a cup by our fifth year. That's the goal. And Mark told me that he looked at Bill Foley straight in the eyes and said, why wait so long? And, 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 and that was the night of the expansion draft who could have imagined that they would be playing for the cup uh, in the Stanley cup finals uh, nine months later. And you know, with one year left on his deal, do you think he's someone that is going to keep going and, you know, like a, like a Chara, they're going to have to pull him off the ice and, and plant plants to play for many years. Or do you think he's one of these elite players that, um, you know, at some point he's, he's going to stop uh, kind of before the, before he could kind of keep going while he's still at a very high level. I'm done uh, predicting the future. Uh, what, I can, what I can say is this. I have never encountered a player who brings as much joy to playing the game like Flower. And I, I was just commenting with him yesterday after the game. We were texting back and forth. You know, I was watching him in the net yesterday and knowing him as well as I do, having started representing him when he was around 15 years of age, he's 36 now. Uh, I've been working with him for more than half his life. And, and we're very, you know, it's no secret that we're very close. And uh, he's, he's very much like family to me. When you go through all of that together and then you're seeing I'm sitting there watching him on the ice. You kind of have that little bit of a intuition as to what's going through his mind and what he might be thinking. And you, you understand maybe a little bit more, some of the nuanced uh, uh, smiles and movements in the, in the net. And I really think that last night and, and throughout the playoffs, you just you watch him in the net and you see a guy who just brings a tremendous amount of joy and happiness to playing the game. And I think as long as he feels that, as long as that feeling is there inside him, 
I can't imagine him deciding to stop playing. Uh, and, and in all my experiences representing players, there comes a time when the light, when the joy starts to go out. And whether it happens at 34 or 38, it does happen. It catches up to everyone. Um, and I think Mark is realistic enough to know that as well. But as long as he's feeling that joy, I cannot imagine him stepping back or stepping away from the game. Al, I have to say that if, um, if Mark andre Fleury was a forward, he would be Mark Stone with their personalities. I have, <laughs> Mark, Mark, there is no one that enjoys scoring a goal more or it seems like he just scored for the first time than Mark Stone. And I, I just, the, the infectious smile and just exuberance, uh, I, I can only imagine if, if Fleury had a chance to play forward or defense and, and be able to score a goal, how he would react. Yeah, well, I, ever since I've known Mark, he's been a goalie, and I could not really imagine him in any other position. I, I, I'm curious, you know, you've got, you know, whether it's Fleury or Huberto or Pacioretty, um, you know, a lot of people that are making some serious dollars. But one thing in, in talking to, to management people and, and other players around the league, the one thing that I keep hearing about Alan Walsh is it doesn't matter where you fit on the salary scale uh, amongst your clients. Everyone feels like they're number one. And that is what a client wants to feel. Um, and it's an, a testament to you as an agent, but how, do you how are you able to manage your time to make everybody feel like they're number one? You know, I, I'm asked a similar question quite often from young people breaking into the business or wanting to break into the business. I talk about this a little bit. If I talk to law school class or a, a sports management class or seminar, uh, it, it's all about your philosophy and approach to representing professional athletes. My feeling is it's not and never will be and never can be. If you want to be successful in this business, a nine-to-five job. To, to be successful, this industry, the agent industry within it, you need to approach it as a lifestyle. And, and the fact is, I am on 24 hours a day. I have my phone on my night table at night. The ringer is on. It buzzes all night. I will come in and out of sleep. I only sleep three, four hours a night anyways, but I will constantly be reaching for my phone, checking up on, 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 you know, from Europe. Are there any text messages from Europe? Anything going on that needs to be addressed, any urgent stuff. And guys, I believe, appreciate knowing that there isn't, uh, a time of day or a day of the week where they um, feel uncomfortable reaching out if there's something going on where they need to talk to me, they need an answer, or they just want to share something. And these relationships 
are very important to me. They're the core and essence of my professional life that bleeds into my personal life. And uh, if I'm going to work with a player, I am going to devote my heart and soul to them. And I don't care if it's a fourth, fourth line guy, a seventh defenseman, a number three goalie. Uh, I appreciate you saying what you just said, because I do take particular pride in, in, in my relationships and in players knowing there's no ranked order here of, you know, certain guys will get an answer to a text message right away. And certain guys will get an answer in 48 hours. Uh, whether you're playing in the USHL, uh, the Quebec junior league, whether you're a parent, whether you're Mark Andre Fleury, when you need Alan Walsh, Alan Walsh is here for you. Well, you're uh, speaking of Alan Walsh, the Alan Walsh's Twitter account is one of the most followed in the, in the business and pinned at the very top. You have a, a quote from an article um, about you that says if all NHL players are represented by Alan Walsh, there would be no salary cap. Let's hear the Alan Walsh pitch. How, what would this league look like right now without a salary cap? What, you know, the, the usual arguments about competitive balance and, um, small market teams and all that stuff. How, how do you address that? Why should there be no salary cap? Let me let me ask you, what kind of competitive balance is there really in the NHL? Has the salary cap uh, made the Ottawa Senators any more competitive right now? Uh, you can go around the league. Uh, the competitive balance argument does not hold up under strict scrutiny. It just doesn't. Uh, What is the essence of a salary cap? Salary cap's main purpose is to uh, force teams uh, to sign players for less than their fair market value. And if you go back to pre-2003, And if you look at the top salaries of players in the NHL back then, the top players were making 11 million, 12 million. Uh, What are now come back to 2020 and 2021. How many years have passed? What are the top players in the league making right now? About the same. Mm -hmm. That's astounding. That's astounding. Yeah. Now go back and look at the NBA. Go back and look at Major League Baseball. What were players making in those sports back in 2003? And what are they making today? And, and one of the great reasons why NHL players today, the top players in the game, are not making any more money than they did in 2003 is because of the salary cap. But here's the thing that's even more astounding. In 2002 and 2003, Bob Goodnow and Gary Bettman were having regular meetings uh, discussing secretly a luxury tax and revenue sharing system. And it was codeworded between them, Project Bluefin, because they were meeting periodically to discuss 
the new CBA. It was just the two of them. And it was all based on a revenue sharing luxury tax system with no cap. And it was being examined. It was being discussed. It was being negotiated. And at a certain point in time, Gary Bettman pulled the plug on Bluefin and said, nope, this line of negotiation is over. It's a all-out salary cap or nothing. If the NHL, back in 2003, before a season-long lockout that cost the NHL a full season of hockey, had entertained and signed that kind of CBA, the NHL franchises, the game itself, and the players would all be making a lot more money than they are today. So in many ways, the salary cap has been a tremendous drag on NHL revenues. And, you know, I've, I've delved into this. I've sat with people who have modeled out where we would be right now with a, with a luxury tax revenue sharing system. And, uh, and to me, all the NHL did in seeking quote unquote cost certainty uh, was that the focus was on raising franchise values. And they did that to, to a large extent, but they would be worth a lot more today in a different system. Well, well, we put the argument up and you knocked them down. Way to go. <laughs> um, so, okay. Then let's say, Alan Walsh is, you know, in charge for a, a day, a week, a year. You can't completely switch to a, you know, remove the salary cap and, and go to a luxury tax situation. What are some changes then within kind of the current system or, or some adjustments to it that you would love to make? Like, is there one, you know, we hear, we've heard some agents like Kurt Overhard, for example, wrote a piece on a player exception rule. Um, do you have, do you have a pet um, rule change or idea that you would like to see if you can't, get it to go all the way of, of switching to a luxury tax model? Um, you know, I, I've always, when I've been asked a question like that, I, I've always deferred from answering it directly uh, because I don't ever want to acquiesce that we are um, going to live with a look with a, with a salary cap system forever. Uh, and, and it is my hope that one day, we can get rid of the cap and, and show NHL owners how much better off they would be in a, in a system where the teams that can spend the money are willing to spend the money, yet at the same time paying a serious tax for going over the threshold and using that money to go into a pool to revenue share with the smaller market teams so you get to a certain inflection point where teams are spending into the tax, yet for every dollar they're spending, equal dollars or more, double the dollar, triple the dollar, whatever the system is, is actually going to help their competitor. So you, you get to that inflection point where the system itself will moderate how far teams will go in spending. But I ask you this, 
when you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, when you look at other teams around the league, without a cap, how much further would they go to put together the dream team without a cap constraint to them where we're just talking now about dollars. And, and if you want to look at what NHL payrolls were at um, in, in 2003 before the season long lockout, I think Detroit was in the 80 millions back then payroll rise the rangers were up in the in the 60 million range montreal was there there were a bunch of teams uh in the 50 and 60 million dollar range with with without a cap right now if you start imposing a tax on that uh you're really generating dollars to help the small market teams smaller market teams and get into some meaningful revenue sharing. What change would I like to see? I think I would like to see some of the restrictions on the, in the entry level system removed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that limiting players to a $92,500 signing bonus, uh, li- limiting player per year. Uh, there was a, a, a time before um, the imposition of the salary cap when under the entry level system, and I'm okay with some controls, uh, players were eligible to receive up to a million two hundred thousand signing bonus spread over the three years of the entry level deal. Uh, I think I'd like to see um, unrestricted free agency years of service reduced from seven to five and let players become free agents at five years. Um, Those are some of the changes that I would be looking to make. Uh, First and foremost, beyond anything else, I think the NHL desperately needs uh, a rule regarding uh, a strict liability rule regarding hits to the head, whether intentional or accidental there should be a major penalty for any hit to the head period. And, and you don't need to look at intent. If a player is hit in the head, it's a major penalty. And I believe that will go a long way to truly making the game safer uh, for players playing in the NHL today. You know, Alan, along that line, you know, I mean, what happened last night in Carolina, if I'm Mark Shifley, I'm, I'm really scratching my head that, that Braden Point, you know, uh, or was it Palat that hit Pe- that hit uh, Pesci, and it was Palat, yeah, and that was just a minor for a legal check to the head. I was kind of surprised with the way that went last night. I I, I don't know. It's got to be a real struggle for for you know your clients, just players around the league, just don't really understand you know where where the Department of Player Safety is going. And to your point, having something, having something, you know, where it takes the decision out of everybody's hands, I think wouldn't be a bad idea. Well, now you're touching upon a much wider issue, which is the um, uh, officiating and the lack of transparency and inconsistency in the way games are called around the league. 
we've seen some playoff games this cycle where the, the refs seem to call everything. And then last night's game, for example, uh, Vegas, Colorado, the refs uh, uh, seemed to put their whistle away. And, and I think there was one minor penalty called the entire game. So you, you, you approach the game, you don't know what you're going to get. And, and I would say that generally speaking, uh, the last two years, the quality of the officiating uh, has really gone down. And the one common denominator in talking to players and talking to NHL coaches and talking to general managers, everyone is kind of incredulous at how poor the games are being called by the officials. And you see more and more uh, uh, people working with teams willing to risk a, a $25,000 fine for speaking out uh, against the officiating or against certain calls. Hey, Gary, go ahead and try and find me. I dare you. The officiating sucks in the NHL and needs to get much better there. Go ahead and do it. Hey, just, just to shift gears, you know, Hart touched upon this earlier, but you know, you're public support of your clients. You, you never, you know, you never shy away and um, you know, you can be somewhat controversial and, but you own it. And, and, and I think that that's great. And so my question, Alan, would be, you know, whether it's the flurry thing with the knife in the back or anything along that line, do your clients get a heads up on, on, on those type of tweets? And is there, is there one that when you look back on that you said, well, man, maybe I shouldn't have done that? Anything that um, has ever gone on in the, that regard is strictly between me and my clients. And I would never um, discuss any of that publicly. Uh, people want to know, do clients know, did you go rogue? How did that happen? Um, situations develop. Um, and, and none of the discussions that ever take place between uh, me and my clients in those regards will ever see the light of day. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, it's funny you brought up the officiating because actually before we started, Jonathan and I were, were arguing a little about, about this. You know, in relation to growing the revenues for the league, you know, I think we'd probably agree one of the ways is through marketing the stars better. And that's one of the things that I find frustrating in addition to the inconsistency is just you get, especially into the playoffs, but even in the regular season. And it seems like the star players are... You, you like they're held to a different standard where you can infract them and you can hold them, you can hook them and it has to be more egregious for, for a call to be made in that case where, um, you know, you look at other leagues and, you know, the obvious examples in the NBA where the star players get the calls. Do, is that a part of the officiating that you see as an issue as well, where it's like the, the star players have to deal with more junk to get a call than uh, sort of a, a, a third or fourth line player? How long has this been going on for? Didn't, didn't this drive Mario Lemieux out of the league at one time? All the clutching and grabbing back then? So now it's more, uh, you know, star players in the league standing in front of the net and getting mercilessly cross-checked in the back. And, and you go through a season of getting cross-checked in the back, and guess what? Players are starting to develop back problems. What do you know? 
I think the NHL, out of all the professional leagues, does the worst job in protecting their star players. And I'm not talking about special treatment. I'm talking about common sense. Yes, it's a game, but yes, there's also entertainment value to the game. Yes, it's a business and a sport. So you have to look at it from every perspective. And, and the, your star players are the face of your game. They're your product. And, 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 and you're allowing them to get treated like that on the ice. These people need to have uh, a head shake. And, and it's been going on now for, for, for how long? So yes, it's a huge issue. And, and I talked to lots of players who have been, you know, when you're in the mode to discuss the, the game beyond tomorrow or the day after tomorrow, sitting, having dinner with a client in the past and talking about the state of the game and so forth, talking to people at the Players Association. Sure, we all see it. We all know what's going on. And, when, and frankly, it's nonsensical. It's nonsensical how the league itself as an entity looking to continuously grow the game will allow their, their, their best players to continuously get hacked, cross-checked, and so forth to the detriment of everybody. Alan, to the point of growing the game, I'm just wondering, you know, uh, reaction, if any, from your clients uh, or just people you've talked to around the league about ESPN and TNT now taking over the TV contracts starting next year. I think everybody wanted uh, the NHL back on ESPN. Uh, I think that uh, NBC, uh, the last several years, which was much better than where we started with uh, Outdoor Life, OLN, and then Versus. Yeah. So I think once we had a rebrand into NBC uh, Sports Net and, and games on, on NBC, I think we uh, moved in a much better direction than we were. But just eyeballs on the game, exposure, uh, you're not going to get any better than ESPN. And I firmly believe that the NHL never left ESPN in the first place. Uh, the game would be much further along than it is right now. I think that having the exposure on ESPN and having a, uh, I've really been impressed uh, with TNT and what they've done uh, in other sports. And I think they're, uh, forward-looking and are going to do things in a way that will attract younger viewers and and be able to not just attract them, but but keep them and and turn them into people who are willing to dedicate um, dollars to different packages that I anticipate will be out there and available. Uh, I think that bifurcating the rights between uh, two uh, entities uh, was very smart. I think they should have been bifurcated in Canada. I don't think Sportsnet should have ended up with the uh, whole package. There should have been a carve out for TSN from the very beginning. 
Uh, I think that when you go to a single rights holder on a a national uh, platform, there's a certain level of complacency that sets in. Uh, I think the competition is good between different rights holders within the same country. And I think you're going to see a healthy competition uh, between ESPN and, uh, and TNT that's going to drive both of them to be as creative and innovative as possible. And that's a positive for everybody. Well, one of your uh, bigger deals this coming off season will be for a, a young emerging um, a star defenseman in Detroit, Philip Ronick. Um, let's see what we can get out of you on, on that. Any, any updates on, on a deal? Are you thinking long-term, short-term? What, what can you share about that negotiation? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> where, where do you where do you see his his uh role growing with detroit and, and in the game i i think phil is a uh it, i i mean it's incredible how far he's come he's got uh tremendous confidence in his own abilities he has that swagger he um has the ability to run a power play and play huge minutes. I mean, this past year, there were games where he was playing 26, 27 minutes a game. Uh, fairly unheard of. How many defensemen around the league are playing that many minutes at you know, 22 and 23 years of age? It's really remarkable. Uh, he is a, as dedicated an athlete as I've ever seen. Uh, he's a physical specimen. He works out like crazy in the off season. Uh, really dedicated to to improving. He's hungry. I'm constantly sending him um, articles of interest regarding physical conditioning, training, um, other other issues that uh, interest professional hockey players off the ice. And he's like a sponge. He reads everything. He digests everything. And uh, I think that on a uh, young team going through a rebuild uh you know you look at detroit with the young players they have and the young players they have coming uh down the road the the raymonds um the ciders uh that that phil is definitely going to be one of those core pieces uh on the back end uh he loves detroit so hopefully things get worked out sooner than later um I've had a couple of uh, preliminary conversations with Steve Eiserman, uh, and we'll see how it goes over the course of the summer. Yeah, man, Alan, I'm putting my list together of the hardest people to get information out of, and it's it's you, Lou Lamorello, and Steve Eiserman. I think are at the top of the list right now. So, um, two two more for me uh, before we wrap up here. Just first off, Hart and I just want to start off by just first saying on behalf of the two of us. We hope whatever your client, Jonathan Duran, is is going through, that today is a better day than yesterday. Um, But without getting into specifics, just can you take us through the role of how, as as an agent, how you deal with a situation, not not, again, not getting into specifics, but when you've got an off-ice issue with a player, how does the agent play into managing the player and the team and just how, you know, because it's not, you know, people are so used to agents just dealing with contracts, but this is something where, you know, you as a person, um, you know, h- how do you handle this? 
I, I think that um, agent today mm-hmm. really doesn't describe um, who we are and what we do in reality. I think uh, if you're going about the uh, business in the right way, you're a life coach and life advisor. You're a business advisor. You're a career advisor. Yes, you're a contract negotiator. Um, and, and really, I see my role as that of a quarterback. And, and I have all these resources within Octagon uh, available for the player. I have to be in touch with the player on a regular basis to identify each player's needs at this time and whatever they are, you know, connecting them with the right people who can help them and overseeing that to make sure things are going in the right direction. You know, so for example, there's a, I'm not aware of any other agency out there that has in-house financial management like Octagon does. We have a standalone business under the Octagon umbrella, Octagon Financial Services that will do things, open up bank accounts, um, uh, get debit cards, get credit cards, put players on, uh, sit with players, educate them on cash flow, prepare a budget for the season, uh, send monthly updates to the player to compare their actual spending versus what is budgeted and any red flags of spending wildly outside of a budget right away is brought to my attention and the financial advisor's attention so that we can talk to the player. And there's a constant process, especially with the younger guys of education and education, you know, what you need to know. Cause to me, uh, knowledge very much is power. And there are so many players, especially young players around the league. They don't know about the history. They don't know about the CBA history. They don't even know there was a lockout in 2012, 13. You know, it wasn't, wasn't that long ago. We lost half the season. Right. So I, I see one of my very important roles amongst many is educating all the young guys I work with on the CBA history. What was life like in the NHL before 1967? Who was Alan Eagleson? And the NHLPA was created. What happened? Um, You know, the criminality of the Eagleson years and the fact that he ended up in prison and, and then the transition to Bob Goodenow and, and what happened on the business side of the NHL through the Goodenow years and every single young player that I work with in the league, um, you know, if there's any veterans I work with now who are listening, they're chuckling because they all remember a dinner in one of their first couple of years in the league where we had this conversation, you know, that went on for one or two hours where I gave them the whole history. And, and it's amazing that they would come back to me at some point in time, three months later, six months later, two years later and say, you know, I went for dinner with teammates and was 
bringing up some of this stuff and nobody knew about it. And, and, and how are, how do we have players in the league today that are, you know, 23, 24 future top players in the league who don't have any understanding of the responsibilities and obligations that comes with playing in the NHL towards their other players, right? As a collective. And, and I think it's important to talk about that with players. And, and, and that's, you know, part of what I do and will always do. So, you know, to get back directly to your question, when a player needs something, you know, and, and there are a whole host of issues that have popped up in the last couple of years, you know, living in the bubble uh, in Toronto and Edmonton was very isolating uh, for, for everyone. I was talking to a uh, member of an NHL team's management uh, a very high level person we all know. And uh, he said to me, Alan, he said, I was, I was getting loopy living in that square box going on six weeks, not being able to interact with the outside world. He said, I just wanted to go out onto a golf course. It's exactly what he said to me. I wanted to go out onto a golf course. I didn't want to play golf. I wanted to take off my shoes, take off my socks and just feel the grass under my toes. And, and I was talking to players, you know, who had progressed to the conference finals during the bubble. And there were a whole host of issues that were coming up. I mean, they, they were getting cabin fever. They were feeling lonely and isolated. There were issues of anxiety and depression, uh, and there was more of it, uh, last season in the bubble than I'd ever seen before. And I think that's a great function of look, look, we were going through a pandemic. It was a terrible time for everybody. And, and for some reason people feel that just because you're a professional athlete, that must mean you make a lot of money. And because you make a lot of money, you're immune from being human and having emotions or problems. How dare you? have human emotions because you make a lot of money and you're a professional athlete. I, I do it for free. Yeah. Well, you're not skilled enough to be one of the 700 people in the world good enough to play at that level, uh, which is probably why you do it for free, you know, but uh, at the, at the end of the day, that is what it is. You're never going to win that argument, but players themselves, uh, generally speaking, went through a much more difficult time than has been publicly discussed. And, and, and if you're talking to your clients every day, you kind of live that with them. You're, you're, you're feeling what they're feeling and you're trying to bring them the resources to help them get through the most difficult times of their lives. And that's well, part I of what we do. Yeah, and to that point, it's funny because one of the questions I was going to ask you, and we're really tight on time here, but as a follow-up then, I mean, I can only imagine what Michael Froelich went through just playing eight games this year um, and just having to be on that taxi squad. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, he would be a guy, I would think that it had to be just miser miserable for him. 
I'm sure it's, it wasn't easy and it's not easy, Yeah. but I also know that Michael loves to play. Yeah. You know, he's one of those guys that is a pros pro. And I think one of the reasons Mark Bergevin went out and signed him was from his experience with, with Michael in Chicago, where they were there together. He knew what a, what a pro pro is. Yeah. And, and Fro just approaches every day with a smile on his face and, and, a, and a tremendous work ethic. And that sets a great example for everybody else on the team, the young guys. Um, and I think, that, uh, I think that Mark Bergevin wanted, you know, that kind of uh, player there. And no one knew at the beginning of the season how many games any player would play, how much how many injuries they would be, there would be, how much opportunity there would be. Uh, it is what it is. You know, would, would Michael Froelich have wanted to play more than uh, eight regular season games this year? Of course. But I, I think he still carries that great love to play the game with him. And that's what sustains you through those kind of difficult times. Yeah. No, I, I don't. Yeah. And I just thought, I was just thinking, just listening to some players, just talk about how tough it was for the taxi squad. I, I just, I, 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 when you were talking the way you did, I just, that was a good name that came to mind. All right. Wrap things up here. So uh, you and I obviously have the connection, both born in Montreal, both born in the same hospital, but the most <laughs> important connection is our love for the boss. Uh, so favorite or most memorable Bruce Springsteen concert that you've ever been to. Wow. Well, I've been 140 of them. Wow. I, 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 one, one, of, one of the most memorable would have been the uh, last show of the, uh, uh, of the uh, 2011 tour. Uh, it was in Buffalo, New York. And there were rumors going around at the time that it could be the last show ever with the E Street Band. Uh, and people had flown in from everywhere. I was running into people before the show from South Africa, from Australia, who had literally just got on a plane, came to Buffalo to go see a Bruce Springsteen concert, and then were getting back on a plane to fly home. And, um, what was so special about that show was it was the last full E Street Band concert with Clarence Clemens before he passed. And, and um, at the end of the show, Clarence was in such bad shape with his hips and his knees that he couldn't climb the few stairs to get from the event level up onto the stage. So they had uh, 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 like a mini elevator, which was kind of like a forklift with this big um, enclosed area that was open on both sides, but was covered and came down. And Clarence would step into it and it would rise up to the stage level and then he'd step onto the stage without climbing any stairs and to get off the stage at the end of the show, 
he would step into this contraption and it would be lowered down to the event level so we can go back to his dressing room. And I had walked, the, the show was over and I was walking backstage and I was going back to see Max Weinberg, uh, who had left me a backstage pass and who I had come to know through his manager. And I was standing right in front of this makeshift elevator and Clarence stepped into it and it was right in front of me. It was like 20 feet, 25 feet in front of me. And Bruce jumped in and they had their arms around each other. And Bruce was still kind of singing the chorus to the last song of the show. The last song of the tour uh, is traveling band as they're being lowered down right right down below me and 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 you saw the two of them with their arms around each other and it, it turned out to be the last time they ever played a show together uh and it's one of the moments i'll never forget yeah yeah and, and for me i uh, my wife and i were in florence and we were walking the streets and i'm hearing springsteen play and these security guards let us in this back door and we got to watch him in Florence. It was something that I've never forgotten. Alan, thanks so much uh, for your time, your generosity and your candor. We really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure talking to you guys. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, call anytime. It's great to be with you guys. Take care. Thanks. Thanks, Alan. Yep. Yeah. Bye, guys. All right. Thanks for listening to our conversation with Alan Walsh. Never shy to give his opinions. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you missed any past episodes, check out the archives. And if you subscribe to the podcast, uh, the next ones will automatically download for you. And if you want to give us a five-star review, uh, that would be great as well. How could they not give us a five-star review, Hart? Well, because there's no half, so they can't go four and a half. So that's what they got to round up to five. Well, of course they do. Yeah. Absolutely. There wouldn't even be any doubt that they would be giving us a five. Come and on. make sure uh, while you're giving out compliments, follow Jonathan on Twitter at West Coast Hockey. I'm on Twitter at Puckpedia, and the show is at Show Money Hockey Pod. So for Hart Levine, I'm Jonathan Davis. You've been listening to another episode of the Show Me the Money Hockey Podcast. Mm-hmm.